of God. And Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 7 tonight. If you have your Bibles, you're going to open up there with me. I'll tell you that um, we get into this pretty difficult um, section of prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. The first thing that's going to happen is that we're going to... My mic seems kind of... Is it seem okay? Okay. Something kind of different. Oh, you know what? Josh used it on Sunday and he messed it all up. <laughs> Were you guys in church on Sunday when Josh was here? Josh did a job? Yeah, yeah. I'm so proud of him, man. I heard everybody told me he did such a great job. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but I definitely will before Sunday. So, um, is it me? Check, check. Somebody just got a bigger head than he does. Check, check, check. There we go. DNA? Check, check, check. Ooh. Going the other way. Hello, hello, hello. Check one, two, hibbity hoo, yabbity doo. Don't crack a brew. Check, check, check. Is this? No, I'm not feeding back in there. Check, check, check. All right, Daniel chapter 7. So we switch in Daniel chapter 7 from um, really the history of Daniel's life to the rest of the book of Daniel, which is prophecy. And it's the prophetic um, section of the book of Daniel. You know, we, we saw Daniel, his life, the practical side of Daniel and his friends being in Babylon, um, their stories, Daniel interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2. Um, that, that's better, Kaylee. Um, okay, so we need a chance. We put the first slide up on your chance. Um, and so, but we're, we're going to transition here. And Daniel, most of what we, you know, I, I, call, I call Daniel like the book of Revelation in the Old Testament. So the Jews who don't receive the New Testament or Messiah, it's like, it's like God put for them the book of Revelation, right, in the Old Testament. And it is the Old Testament equivalent to the New Testament book of Revelation. And um, what's super powerful is that Jesus himself called Daniel a prophet. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So, um, you know, the very fact of who Daniel is. Now, I've told you guys before that Daniel, of all the Old Testament writers, he takes the most criticism for his writings. And one of the reasons is because he was so absolutely historically accurate with his prophecies that the the enemies of the Bible, they just... They, they, they just said it had to be written later. It couldn't have been written by Daniel. There's no way he wrote these events to the detail that he wrote them before he wrote them. But, but Jesus, if, if you attack Daniel, then you're also attacking Jesus because Jesus himself um, said that Daniel was a prophet and spoke of Daniel's prophecy, giving um, credibility and a trump card really to what Daniel said and who he was. Paul quotes Daniel. Peter quotes Daniel. Um, we, we have him in, um, through, throughout the New Testament. And so... Um, but now, again, we're going to get into a section six, I'm sorry, seven, eight, nine. Nine is, is, is a powerhouse. That's the, the Antichrist, the um, triumphal entry, and then uh, on and on and on, all the way through the rest of Daniel. Now, um, this is the statue from Daniel chapter two. This was Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and Daniel interpreted his dream. And this was, the dream was that um, this was a statue that, Daniel, that, that Nebuchadnezzar saw, and Daniel said that the head of gold was the Babylonian, cap, the Babylonian um, empire led by Nebuchadnezzar. And you remember he said these words in Daniel 2. He said, you, O king, are the head of gold. And then he said that um, the arms and chest of silver was the Medo-Persian empire. And then the belly and thighs of brass. And they go 
down in, um, in value and, and in strength. And then that was the Grecian Empire. And then we know as we look back in history that this is exactly how it followed up. Now, what's, what's important about this to us today is that we are, I told you guys in chapter 2, we are the people of the toes. Because where we fit in the historical thing is that Rome, the Roman Empire, were the legs of iron. And then, but the Roman Empire never was defeated. The Roman Empire kind of collapsed from within. A lot of the decline of the Roman Empire, empire was a moral decline um, in, in so many areas of homosexuality and debauchery and um, on and on and on and on with, with where when the Roman Empire became safe and um, it just became a haven for, for all. And it ended up destroying the family destroyed. And, and really a lot of the things that we're seeing in the United States today are... Um, you know, we saw those things in Rome. Now they were worse. I think even in Rome, they say historically that the the level of debauchery and of evil that was taking place when the Roman Empire collapsed, they said would even rival what's happening today uh, in the United States and the world. But the, the the feet and iron of the 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 feet and toes of iron and clay, the ten toes are where the Antichrist will come out of. We call ourselves the people of toes because that's where we fit in the model of history, and and the Antichrist will come out of the revised Roman Empire. And so the Roman Empire, uh, again, it never it collapsed, but it was never defeated. And in the last days when Antichrist is ruling and reigning, and we're going to get that in Daniel chapter six, uh, 7 here today, um, we'll see that the Antichrist will be brought out of the revised Roman Empire. And that's where you'll get that, the ten toes. And so um, uh, one of the things that, that's kind of come to light recently, you know, 20 years ago when I was teaching and studying actually more a student of biblical prophecy, um, we, we kept a close eye because we know what we know this fact. The Antichrist will come out of the revised Roman Empire. Okay? Um, but I, I think for so long as, as, as biblical prophet you know, students, we were always looking at the revised Roman Empire as Europe because that's where Rome is. In Italy, it's in Europe. But really, we just have to remember that the Roman Empire technically has an eastern and a western wing. Do you know what continent um, Israel is in? Kind of tough, huh? It sits in this like weird spot, like technically Europe. And so that's the Eastern Europe. And so with the rise of Islam the last 20 years, um, and, and a lot of the biblical prophecies that have come out, it, it was a focus then on Islam as possibly being the, 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 the Antichrist would rise out of the Eastern wing of the Roman Empire and possibly um, have some kind of Islamic ties. One of the problems with that theory is that the Jews will never follow a, a Muslim as their Messiah. So that's a little hill you got to come over. But the other, the other side of it is that the Antichrist is going to need to control um, the, the Muslims as well. Right now, you know, I think just the number of the, for, for a while, I don't, I don't know that it is right now. And these numbers change all the time. They're kind of hard to follow. But the fastest growing um, religious group was the Muslims for a long time, and they are the second um, largest behind Christianity is, is Islam, and they're like 1.8 billion, and that number is growing and um, could surpass um, Christianity one day. You know, one of the things in Europe, and, and so much of Europe they say is, which things are changing, you know, this, some of this stuff is 10 years old, and um, I'll talk about Islam a little bit more but um, in, in a minute, but Islam is in somewhat of a decline right now. But I, I remember a stat. I remember last time I taught through Revelation. And this was this was just stats, facts. 
that in, um, in a lot of the European countries, France, for example, there's lots of Muslims in France, um, and, and they are proselytizing by birth. And the average birth rate of a Muslim family in Europe is eight. And the average birth rate of a non-Muslim family in Europe is like two, 1.8 or something. And just based on just sheer facts, math of they, they're, they're averaging eight kids per Muslim family and the, that, that they're going to swallow France. And then this is true all over, all over Western Europe. They're going to swallow these countries up and these countries are going to become Muslim countries just sheerly based on the birth rate within 20 years. And so I, I think of all of them are leaning that way, but I think the worst was in France where that was like basically it was a done deal there where they would take over. And so, but anyways, that was just to say that in, the, in this last empire that we're going to study today in Daniel chapter 7 is this, these feet of iron and clay that the Antichrist will rise out of. And, and what is the feet represent? Again, the feet represents the revived Roman Empire. Are you guys with me? He lost you. The revived Roman Empire. And, and the Antichrist will come out of that. You know, it's very possible as well that uh, biblically that the Antichrist could be Jewish. So you could you could make arguments for both that, um, but it does fit biblically. And one of one of my kind of arguments for that is that um, Judas Iscariot was Jewish, and he was the he was the biggest traitor to Jesus that the world has ever known. And the anti or Satan himself, and I, I give you guys this trivia all the time, but so hopefully you got it. But Satan himself will will fill two people in human history since Adam and Eve to the end of uh, the Battle of Armageddon. We, see, we know one of them was, was Judas Iscariot. Now, Jesus was constantly casting out demons, and, and we know there's such things as demon possessions where a demon enters a body and possesses a body. Um, but Satan himself doesn't do it. He has all kinds of demons and henchmen. And, but, but the one time Satan wanted to make sure he got it right, he himself entered Judas Iscariot. He'll do it one other time, and that other time is the, is the Antichrist. All right. So... Um, Let's look at Daniel chapter 7. Again, we're getting into the prophetic part of the book of Daniel. Now, again, just really quickly, chronologically, Daniel 7 doesn't follow a chronological order. It doesn't happen after Daniel was thrown into the lion's den because it says in the first year of Belshazzar. And if you remember, Belshazzar was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. He was a Babylonian king who, who fell when the Medo-Persians came in. So now we're here in the year of Belshazzar. So this puts chapter 7 in chronologically in the life of Daniel somewhere between chapter 4 and 5. It puts it before the lion's den and before those years, somewhere in those years where Daniel didn't, you know, didn't really have a huge presence and they had to go find him. You know, when Daniel needed to um, interpret the tekel, meaning meaning tekel, you farsen handwriting on the wall, they said go and search for him because he wasn't, you know, just readily available and really in the center of what was involved. And so it's probably in those years where Daniel receives this vision from God. And it says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Look at your neighbor and say, main facts only. Okay, remember that as we go through here. This is not a detailed account of this. It's main facts. The other thing that I want to just kind of highlight as before we get into it is that, um, you know, I talk to people sometimes and they, they use it as an excuse and they say the Bible is full of allegories. It's full of types and, and things. 
you can't take it literal because it doesn't mean what it says. It's using something. And, you know, I want to be very, very clear for you guys and for, you know, students of the word. If people bring this up or who you are personally as a student of the word, you, you, we take the Bible literally. We have a very literal interpretation of the Bible. The Bible says, be ye kind one to another. <laughs> is, that, is that allegory? Is that hard to understand? Is that typology? No, it's very literal. And so as you approach the Bible, you want to approach it very literally. There are some times and, and a couple different ways. Number one, the Bible sometimes will tell you when um, you can't take it literally. The Bible also, like Jesus spoke in parables, for example. Now, those were true stories. They were, you know, when Jesus was talking about a millstone being hung around your neck if you cause a child to, um, to sin, he was in Capernaum. And what was in Capernaum was the millstone factory. It was very possible that he was standing next to the millstones when he used that example. When Jesus was talking about the vine and the um, branches, he was in front of the temple. And on the temple doors was a big picture of vine and branches. And things that he used in those parables were very practical. The wheat and the tares. He tells a parable about the wheat and the tares. He was no doubt standing in a wheat field um, telling these stories that were practical to the people. Things they could understand. They were fishermen. And so he used fishing analogies and he used those things that were in parable form, but they were they, they were understood to the people. And but again, as we get into Revelation, you get some things where, you know, there's a, a leopard and he has four heads and he has wings of, of wings on his back. And we have a lion with the wings of an eagle. Well, now, you know, common sense tells you you've never seen a lion with eagle's wings, have you? Even Napoleon Dynamite couldn't draw that. But the. You know, but so when you find something that's obviously, you know, not literal or can't be taken literal, so a little common sense applies or the Bible, again, will 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 kind of let you know that it's not to be taken literally and that there is some kind of hidden meaning or allegory. But we're going to get some of that in this chapter. So it says, um, so the main facts, not all of them. And then it says. Um, Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. So the word wind in the Bible in the Old Testament is ruach. And it's the same word that we get Holy Spirit from or spirit as the wind moves. And so um, and then it says stirring up the great sea. Now, the great sea is multiple times in your Bible. Isaiah 17, 12, Isaiah 57, 20, Revelation 13, Revelation 17. We see where the Bible um, describes the nations or the world as the sea or the great sea. The, these things come out of the great sea. They come out of the nations. They come out of the world. And so the nations of the world. And again, when we're, when we're interpreting things that are hard to understand, the Bible is the best commentator on the Bible and the and, it, and we find other places where we find similar things. And what do they mean there? And they hold these consistency across. So here it's the great sea. These are not, um, you know, water animals that are coming out of the water. So it's not saying they're actually coming, you know, out of the great sea. This is a, what the great sea means here is that they're coming from the nations of the world. Coming out of the earth. And four great beasts, everybody say great. Beasts came from the sea or the world or the nations and each, each different from the other. The first was like a, okay, one more time, reach your neighbor and say, like a lion. Was it a lion? It was what? 
like a lion. Do you guys remember the descriptions of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1? Um, phenomenal chapter. I mean, now one of my new favorite chapters in the Bible, Revelation 1, this amazing description of Jesus. But we got lots of those in Revelation 1. His hair was like, his voice was like, his appearance was like as. And so again, now we have, now we're going to picture these as lions and these things, but it says like a lion. So it, it probably maybe had the appearance of a lion or the body of a lion, but just knowing that as we go through this, he's not saying necessarily it was a lion. He said it was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Now he didn't say like eagle's wings. He said, like, he said eagle's wings. And maybe that was why it was like a lion because it had eagle's wings. And I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And then suddenly there was another beast, a second like it, a bear. It was raised up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and they said thus to it, Arise and devour much flesh. And after this I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird, and the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after this, I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong, and it had huge iron teeth, and it was devouring and breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the, all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up from them before whom before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like, like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. So you have this ten horns, and then there was a little horn that had a big mouth speaking pompous words. What a crazy dream, huh? Imagine this thing, the beast has ten horns, and then the little horn comes up and takes out three, and the little horn has a big mouth and he's speaking pompous words. And so I'll just give you a spoiler alert that this little horn is the Antichrist. It's a type. That's not a type. I'm sorry. It's a name of the Antichrist. And so, and then he says, and then it goes on in verse number nine and it changes a little bit. It says, I watch in his vision until thrones were put in its place and the ancient of days was seated. Who's the ancient of days? Wild, wild crack it's at, right? The Lord, um, and he says his garments was white as snow. Now, I, I see a description of Jesus here. I also see a description of the Father here. And I don't know if we're splitting hairs. but And the hair of his head was like pure wool. And his throne was a fiery flame. And its wheels were burning fire. And so again, I see, I see God in this picture of sitting on his throne. Because you get a different picture of God on his throne. And, and sometimes more specific when it's Jesus, but here, so Daniel has this vision in his dream, and then God appears on his throne in this dream, and it says um, in verse 10, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, a thousands and thousands of thousands ministered to him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him, and the court was seated, and the books were opened, and so there's this massive multitude of hundreds of millions that are that are there that are before him that are worshiping him that are ministering to him and so this is the the vision and it's going to go on a little bit and then daniel is going to give the interpretation now i, I kind of just read that 
Because when, it's going to be repeated again in the interpretation as, as God has given Daniel the interpretation, and we'll kind of focus on it there. But at this point, I'll just say that the traditional view of this um, prophecy is that it's a parallel to chapter 2. So um, if you look up Daniel chapter 7, 90% of commentators and um, Bible scholars are going to come up with something like this. Um, uh, Lydia just taught through Daniel not that long ago, and she gave this, this same kind of layout. And, um, you know, if you listen to 20 Calvary Chapel pastors, 18 of them are going to come up with this. This is the traditional view of um, Daniel chapter 6 or 7, I'm sorry, that that it's it's that these beasts they represent the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom do. There are so many parallels to these beasts that that would lay out and would fit. And so the the lion with the eagle's wings, the lion and the wings, the eagle and is the king of the birds as you would say. The lion is the king of the jungle and Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold and and, and this kingdom of Babylon, the greatest kingdom and of all, of the wild animals the king is, is at the top of the food, or I'm sorry, the lion is at the top of the wild beast, and the eagle would be at the very top of the flying beasts. And so, and then you have the bear with the three um, ribs in his mouth, and, and, and the Medo Persian Empire. And it says the bear was, um, if you read the description there in verse um, number five, I think it is, it says the bear was lifted up on one side. And the Medo-Persian Empire were two different groups that came together. But the Persians far outlasted and they, and they were better and stronger than the, than the Medo side of this empire. And so that the bear was lifted up on one side in the Medo-Persian Empire. And then the ribs in his mouth as they, you know, he ate a meal and this is what was left as he shredded. The Medo-Persian Empire was, um, was huge. The largest, largest army had ever been assembled. And there was millions of people on the battle. And, and they said they were even would travel with wives and kids. And it was so big. But it was so big that it moved very slowly. And so it fits the description of the bear, the Medo-Persian Empire. And then the third one, um, the Grecian Empire, led by Alexander the Great, was swift. Alexander the Great, by 33 years old, had conquered the known world. And Alexander the Great is the famous one who was up on a hill after conquering the world and he was crying and he was upset because there was no kingdoms left to conquer. There was nothing left to conquer. He had conquered everything. Um, he got drunk. He caught pneumonia. And Alexander um, the Great, uh, the leader of the Grecian Empire, died very young. When he was about to die, they came to him and they said, Who, who's going to be your successor? And his famous words of history were, Give it to the strong. And that's all he would say. And so his four generals of the Grecian Empire took over the Grecian Empire. And the four leaders of the, the four different generals split up the empire. And the leopard has four heads and four wings. It was very swift. Unlike the Medo-Persian Empire, that was just ginormous but moved slow. The, the, Medo, I'm sorry, the Grecian Empire was swift. Alexander the Great was an amazing um, tactician and strategist and dominated, you know, from 28 years old. And he was dominating the whole world. Um, and then the fourth one is, you know, and there's four, right? The gold, silver, bronze, and iron are the four. And, and then, but in this one, you get the three. And then the fourth one is the, this remaining kingdom that's the, the, Rome, uh, the, the Rome, but then it's the, again, the feet too. So I don't know, you have to try to fit four into five there. 
um, to make this interpretation work. But the last one, um, nobody argues about the last one here. There's no debate because in the description and even in the interpretation, the, the last empire is the revived Roman Empire. Without a doubt, this beast is the Antichrist. The ten horns are the ten toes of the statue. The, um, the little horn is the Antichrist who's going to be the ruler. He's going to crush three. We're going to see that unequivocally. Now, uh, again, this is the traditional view. And what it said is that, um, you know, this is God's um, chapter seven is God's interpretation or God's view of chapter two and of these empires. OK, I don't buy it for a second. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I just actually uh, I'm kind of on the other side. So and again, I won't tell you guys where to land on this. And it really doesn't matter because honestly, as we go through this, these three, the lion, the bear, the leopard with the wings, none of those are as important as the fourth one, which is, is where the Antichrist is going to come out. So how we interpret them and how you look at them, it won't change your eschatology. It doesn't necessarily change any kind of theology or biblical views you have. But there's just some stuff in chapter 7 that to me, um, and I'm not alone again, there's just there's those that see this and that, that these four are, are yet future. That what Daniel is seeing is actually something that, that is in his future. And it would be kind of to me a little redundant that to just repeat what happened in chapter 2 with a different description. And, and I'll walk through and I'll show you some places where the language just doesn't make sense for this to just be a repeat of um, what happened in chapter 2. Now, again, the similarities, the, the, the context, the catch of these things being the same successive, successive empires that Daniel saw in chapter 2, they're all there. But in, in chapter in chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar has the dream and and Daniel interprets. This is not Nebuchadnezzar's dream that Daniel is interpreting. This is Daniel's dream that God gives him, and and then Dan and then God interprets and gives the interpretation to Daniel. Now now Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, "You are the head of gold," meaning there's there's he understands and he follows the vision in chapter two. When we get to this chapter, he says that the thoughts troubled me on my head. And he can say that multiple times. We'll get to that. That, that, that he, didn't, he didn't have that same confidence that he had in chapter 2 because this was different. And they, that they um, – let, let's look at him. So let's go to the next one. So, again, this is just the four kingdoms. You'll, well, Ram, the goat, that's chapter 8. We'll get there. It kind of continues along that. But this is the same idea, head of gold, breast and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, two legs of iron. And these co- coincide with them, um, the monster, the ten horns, um, with those, the winged lion, the bear, the leopard. Follow each one of these um, successive kingdoms that we studied in Daniel chapter 2. And, and again, just in a nutshell, um, what, the way I'm looking at it is that these four kingdoms that Daniel are talking about or that he has a vision of are yet future, that he's seeing maybe where, what's happening in the world today. And, and it's, it's completely consistent with where Daniel is because everything in Daniel 7 to chapter 12 are all future events. He's, he's prophesying the Antichrist. He's prophesying future events. He's prophesying events right out of Revelation. So everything else he does is future and, and very consistent with chapter 7 also then being something um, in the future. Next one. All right, so again, these are, these are the four beasts, just kind of descriptions of the four beasts and what they are. Um, 
The last one is exceedingly dreadful, terrible beast, iron teeth, brass nails, um, ten horns, a little horn came, replaced three, a little horn had a, a, a big mouth and spoke pompous words. I'll start with this. Um, look at verse 7. And it says, um, in the end there, it says, It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. So that word before it there, it means in front of, or it means contemporary with. It also it means in its presence. So these four beasts, or these other three beasts, Daniel says, they were in the presence of the fourth beast. They were in front of. Not like, not like in a... Um, you know, in a successive line and one's in front of the other, the statue could be in front of. But in this context of this word and 42 other times when this idea is used, it's meant in this exact way, in in the presence of. So that's one of the problems with these being out of chapter 2 is that all four of these kingdoms were contemporary. They were together at the same time. And the statue was successive kingdoms that came fell, came, fell, but these ones were contemporary. That word before it there, it's translated in front of it again, or contemporary or in the presence. And and those kingdoms definitely were not in the presence at all. Is there one more slide? Is that the last one? I think that's the last one, huh? Oh, no, I got one more. Oh, yeah. Possibly all future. So that's just my little conclusion there. It is possible again. It's just, these are kind of, again, these are, they're not, these are not doctrinal, important strongholds or you know, they don't change who, what, where we are, what we believe. But um, so you can land on either side of this that you want. I'll kind of go through a few more reasons why I kind of see it as being more prophecy than, than backing up and just being a repeat of chapter two. And then he says in verse 11, I watched. And then because of the sound of the pompous words, now you can highlight that or underline that, that this thing is in verse um, seven or eight. It said the same thing and these repetitive things. He had a big mouth. He spoke pompous words which the horn was speaking, I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. So hold a finger there and turn with me, if you will, to Revelation 19. And we'll see that this this is fulfilled. Now, again, there is zero kind of um, controversy on the fourth one. So um, I'll make a few more comments on why I don't think these first three or these four are a repeat of Daniel 2, but all of them are yet future. Um, but again, understand that even though I see that different, we all see the fourth one the same. The fourth one is obvious. The fourth one is um, lots of comments on him. Daniel's actually, when he's talking to God, he's only going to ask God to really explain to him the fourth one. He's like, the fourth one really intrigued me. Will you expand upon it? And then we're going to get some expansion in Daniel 7 on that. But uh, in Revelation 19, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation 20, In verse number 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in it them, and they were judged, each one according to his works, and then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not written in it, anyone not found written in the book of life, was cast into the flame. And so that is the end of Satan. This is Satan being um, thrown into the eternal fire for all of eternity. 
And so that's going to happen after the Battle of Armageddon. And then, so we'll have the Battle of Armageddon. I'm sorry, not after the Battle of Armageddon. The Battle of Armageddon, Satan will be bound for a thousand years while Christ rules and reigns on earth. And at the end of the thousand years, Satan is let loose for one last time. And then he's cast into the eternal lake of fire that was, that will burn forever. So the, um, you know, a little bit about the Antichrist. We talk about, you know, one of the things I don't mention much about the Antichrist is biblically the Antichrist has a right hand man all the way through the book of Revelation and in his short seven year reign. Anybody know who that is? The Antichrist and the false prophet. And I don't, I don't mention him a ton when, I, when I'm talking about the Antichrist, but everywhere, you're not everywhere, but a lot of times through Revelation 12, 13, 17, 19, you see the Antichrist. You also see that he has um, another guy there that's helping him rule and reign um, as his religious guru, and he's called um, the false prophet. So the Antichrist will definitely have some kind of religious aspect to him, this um, one world religion that, that the Antichrist will set up. You know, again, everybody used to um, try to decide which which religion will it be. And I think that key holds us a little bit in understanding prophecy because we looked at the Holy Roman Catholic Church. Again, that one time was the largest religion in the world and assets and owned and, and more than, you know, if the Holy Roman Catholic Church was a country, be the third wealthiest country in the world. And, and then we looked at Islam and Islam was the fastest growing and Islam has surpassed everybody. They're 1.8 billion. And, um, you know, and, and, but I really think that if you... Um, you can't keyhole into one because I think the Antichrist religion is going to encompass everybody, everybody that's left behind and wants to be a part. So whether you were Catholic or Hindu or Muslim or Buddhist or whatever you were, um, you, that, that it will be all inclusive and it'll be kind of his own new religion that we'll, we'll kind of see here in Daniel chapter seven too. You know, you know that coexist bumper sticker. That'll be the Antichrist religion where everybody just, yeah, one size fits all, and it all works, and he'll take a little bit out of uh, the churches in Revelation where they just married the world and made it all work. But he'll have, again, this false prophet who, who also will do signs and, and, and lying wonders. So it says um, in verse number 12, is that where we're at? Verse number 12, it says, And as for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. That's one of the kind of grammatical problems with chapter 2, or this being a parallel to chapter 2, is that these kingdoms were not prolonged in this way that it's talking about here. So the Antichrist, it says, is going to be cast, verse 11, um, which I watched till the beast was slain and the body destroyed and given to the burning flame. And then the other three, they were prolonged for a season and a time. And so, again, that doesn't really fit with, um, it didn't happen in the past, you know, if these are things. The other thing to remember is that when, um, because these, these events as Daniel sees them are things that are to come, Nebuchadnezzar had been dead for 23 years by this point in Daniel, when Daniel received this vision. And, and the Babylonian Empire um, was only three years away because Belteshazzar was still in the first year of the reign of King Belshazzar, this, he received this vision. Well, Belshazzar is the one who's there when the Medo-Persians take over, and it's only in the fourth year of the reign of Belshazzar. So this is three years away from the complete decline of Babylon. And so, you know, again, as, as he's speaking about these things being yet coming, then one of them was behind of him, which kind of, again, it doesn't fit too. So... Um, 
so they were prolonged. Have you guys been watching, um, obviously, the news this week? What's going on in Afghanistan and the guys falling off the planes? And I, I got a text today, um, but I want to be careful because I didn't confirm this. And this, I'm hoping this is not like uh, fake news. But it says that 229 Christian missionaries have been sentenced to death tomorrow afternoon by Afghan Islamists. And they asked for a prayer. It was a prayer request. But this, this particular text that I got, it's this long text. It was in a group. And one of my Christian cousins sent it to myself and my brother and some of our family members. But I could tell because I found it on the web. It was copied and pasted off of some article. So I don't know if this is... Has anybody else heard anything about this? Is it fake? It's fake? Okay. All right, good. Uh, okay, good. I'm glad I asked. Okay. All right. Well, then I guess we don't need to pray for the 229 Christian missionaries. We're going <laughs> to... Yeah, we can pray for Afghan for sure. And, the, you know, I, I don't know how many thousands of American citizens are still there that weren't able to get out and just the complete mess that's going on there in Afghan. And you know what what's happened, Amir, I watched Amir gave a little update this week. Um he's driving in his car with his kids in the back seat on vacation, but he couldn't uh couldn't help himself and he gave an update and he just said, you know, he he's he's an Israeli citizen, he lives in Israel, he's a prophecy teacher and Bible teacher and um leads tour guides in Israel. But he's in the in and he was former Israeli military and he just said that, you know, what's happening and what's happened very fast globally is that, you know, he said we've entered, the way he put it was we've entered the post-America um, world order. And the world, basically what, what the message that's been sent to the rest of the world is that, you know, if, we're, if, if they're an ally of the United States, then we can no longer be trusted to protect you. We can no longer be trusted. We'll just flee, you know. And, and so... China's had its eye on Taiwan forever. As long as I can remember, they've wanted to annex and, and take Taiwan. And it says that he said that the, the Chinese have been emboldened. Um, the the rest of the world is is emboldened to do what they want to do. The North Koreans and you know everybody else who now just again they, they we've shown weakness. And um, even I heard the Biden administration, their press secretary said that you know we 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 anticipated that the Taliban would would resurge but we just didn't anticipate it would happen this fast but again that that is what and it's going to happen fast and the rest of the world is um you know they're not going to take us seriously they they're they're not afraid of us and we're not you know and and they won't trust us if if we're an ally and our biggest ally in the middle east is israel and and i'm sure they're they're afraid that we won't have their back either you know, but but again, politically and biblically, the things that are that are shaping up with the new world order, or with the um, the nations of of Russia and Iran and Turkey, who we know in in the book of Ezekiel are going to come against Israel. My sister texted me this weekend, and she remembered for a long, long, long time ago. I've been saying this for 20 years. You know, I've been teasing. I'd say when you open your newspaper and it says that Iran and Turkey and Russia have attacked Israel, then that's the sign of the end. That's that's the final sign. Put your head between your legs and kiss it goodbye because it's over. You're coming, you know, like Jesus is coming if he hasn't already. And that's the sign. And then when my sister saw some stuff in the news, she, she texted me. She's like, I remember you always saying that it, uh, Russia and Iran and Turkey are going to come against Israel. But that alliance is happening again. They're becoming emboldened. 
and they know, and part of the emboldening is they know the United States is, you know, not going to come to their aid. And it would make no sense for those guys to attack Israel if the United was just going to pull the United States right into some kind of war. They don't want that. Um, but but in the in the Ezekiel 38 and the Gog Magog invasion that's coming, that's yet future. One of the one of the you know most major biblical prophecies that we're keeping an eye on the Gog and Magog invasion of Ezekiel 38. When these ten nations come against Israel, the Bible says in Ezekiel 38 that no nations come to its aid, and that part's always been hard to understand because you know the United States, if if somebody attacked Israel, the United States would come to their aid. But you know then when for the first time I kind of started making sense when Obama became president. And he hated Israel. He hated Benjamin Netanyahu. Oh my gosh! The one time he met with him, and Benjamin Netanyahu made Obama look like an elementary student in their conversation. And they didn't talk anymore, and they never met again. And um, I said, "Well, now for the first time, it kind of makes sense why the United States wouldn't come to Israel's aid." I could see this administration turning their back on Israel. Well, that's true again, and I could see this current administration turning their back on Israel. But regardless whether it's an administration or, 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 or a rapture or something else that cripples the United States, that we will not come to their aid and these nations will attack. But again, those things are happening in our world right now. They're happening. What's happening in Afghanistan is the tip of the iceberg of world sentiment, of, of, of the rest of the world leaders um, really kind of being emboldened to, to do what they want to do without the fear that the United States is... Um, going to stop it or come to their aid. All right, well, let's pray for Afghanistan while I'm thinking about it. Um, I had one more thing on a, oh, that was it, Afghanistan, the text, and we're going to skip the text. Those are the two things. Father God, we come before you, and Father, we thank you so much, God, for the great love of Jesus. Lord, we know that you love every person, Lord Jesus, every person that we saw in that picture next to that um, that big plane that was taken off, Lord, that you love each one of them, Father. And, Lord, you desire to put them in your hiding place and protect them and, and, and Lord, put them under your wings. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, we pray for the, the, the mercy and the grace of God. We pray for the gospel to, to go forth. We pray for those folks to find hope in Jesus where they have no hope, God. Father, that, that, that you will pour out your Holy Spirit upon them and there would be revival in that land, Lord God. And as they're broken, as they're hurting, as they're lost, and as they're um, automatically and suddenly refugees, Father, in their own country, God, that, 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 that there would be the power of your Holy Spirit that would move in their lives and save lives. We pray for their physical protection, God. We pray for wisdom, God, for, uh, for our military, for our government, for those that are there, Lord Jesus. And, Father, that, that your Holy Spirit would be poured out upon that place and that, Lord, no more needless lives would be, be lost. I pray for all the American citizens that are trying to get out of there, that they could, they could safely get to planes and um, get out of there. And, uh, Father, that your Holy Spirit will be poured out on that place. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go to verse number 13. It says, I was watching in the night vision. And so this is still the vision section here of him seeing God in this vision and he said and behold one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven and he came to the ancient of days and so whenever you think of God coming in the clouds does that remind you of something it remind you of Jesus because that's a mention of Jesus in Thessalonians that the dead in Christ will rise first and those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air specifically in the clouds 
And so we see that where Jesus coming in the clouds, we saw him ascend into the clouds and, and that he's coming again in the clouds. And it says, and he came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. And then he was, and then to him, capital H was given dominion and glory in a kingdom that all people, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. And so it's a capital H there that his kingdom will not be destroyed. You know, and I just want to remind us that our kingdoms that we build here on this earth for us, they will be destroyed. You know, when, you know, and there's, you know, you see pictures of guys who have literally built kingdoms and mansions and, you know, these houses that they live in. I remember some of the pictures of some of the Saudi princes and, and the houses, the hundred bedroom houses and the literally gold cars that they drive and these mansions that are built here. But those things, those kingdoms will fall, but his kingdom will never fall. You know, one of the things that I, I, I really try to stress in my ministry, in my life, in my preaching and uh, sometimes it gets me in trouble, you know, when I talk about certain investments and money and I say things like you don't need to invest in alternative currencies, you need to invest in missionaries and, you know, it's not always the wisest, soundest um, financial advice, but I, I do always give you guys a disclaimer that I'm not your financial advisor, but, but really my heart and what I'm trying to share is to be eternally minded people. That's really what I want to communicate to us. And, you know, maybe I don't always go about it in the clearest way or the best way, but my, my heart is to say, listen, we don't live for this world. Drilling that into us, that you are a citizen of heaven. Jesus said as much. Jesus said, this is not your home. You are not of this world. You are in this world, but not of this world. And this analogy is used all over the New Testament. Paul uses it in Corinthians. He says, this house is a tent. And a tent is temporary. And we don't invest in tents. I stayed in a tent this weekend. While Josh was preaching, I went with Greg and Aaron Rodgers. Aaron wasn't there. Greg and Cody and Caleb and I went to an off-road show um, that Greg was working. And Greg has a booth there, a vendor booth. And he sells um, onboard welding systems for off-road vehicles. It connects, attaches to the alternator. And he builds the alternator and the welding systems. And the extreme off-wheel guys, that's rock crawling. And, you know, it's like... Um, we hit top speed one time on the trail. It was like four miles an hour. That's kind of sport it is. Like, you know, it's super slow. Four miles an hour is top speed. And I mean, but you should have seen the trails that we went down. We went down. They're not even, they're just, they don't even look like, they're not roads or trails or they're just big piles of rocks formed in the wrong way. You know, Ford Ice. Remember that Ford Ice? I don't even know how you spell that. Ford Ice Trail. Google, or not Google it, YouTube it. Watch the Ford Ice. There's, um, they call five winch hills. And we went over all five winch hills, and they're nuts. You need a winch to get over most of them, but not Greg's vehicle gets over. But um, we, we were there um, at the Ford Ice Trail at this off-road show put on by Cal Four Wheel um, in, the, in the Sierras. And we did this really impossible trail on Friday. And then Saturday, I helped Greg with the booth, and we, we sat and worked the booth all day Saturday. Um, so that's where I was this weekend. But why did I say all that? I have no idea. No, I was going to tell you, I, I did. I slept in a tent. I slept in a tent. It was like a four-person tent, and I, I brought a blow-up mattress. And, and my blow-up mattress has a charging system. It's like, charge it, and then when you're out, you don't need to plug it in. And so I just I blew it up. I got a blow-up mattress in this big tent. I hung a little light on there. I was styling, dude. It was cool up there in the high Sierras, about 7,500 feet. And I was tent camping, but I was styling. But what I didn't do was I didn't take the family portrait that hangs in my living room and hang that in my tent. And I didn't take the things that were valuable and 
I didn't take the kitchen sink and things, be, and I didn't invest in, in that tent other than that because that tent is temporary and your life is temporary. So again, being eternally focused. How do you do that? How do you practically do that in your life? You know, it's tough. I, I think it's something, you know, the Bible talks about in, in, in uh, Colossians. Colossians 2 specifically is, is kind of the eternally minded chapter, but, you know, so maybe read that, focus on that a little bit, but just encouraging. It's something you constantly have to be reminding yourself for, that to be eternally, eternally minded. What are you doing today to invest in your eternity? And really this life is about preparing us for the one that we're going to live forever. So just encouraging you guys in that. And so Jesus said that his kingdom will not be destroyed. Now, verse 15 says, I, Daniel, was grieved. I got to speed up, but we're going to finish. We'll be, be out on time. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the vision of my head troubled me. Now, again, to me, that's, that's a different kind of um, sentiment and understanding and really condition that we find in chapter 2. In chapter 2, there were, there were matter-of-fact statements. You, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. And here it's troubling him, and he doesn't quite understand what's going on. And he, he's asking for an interpretation. Now, um, and again, these things are just, you know, kind of practical ideas. But had Daniel known and was a repeat of the vision from chapter 2, I, I think there would have been a, a different sentiment from Daniel, different spirit about him, where it's not troubling and it's not you know, these things that are hard to understand kind of idea. And he says, I, and again, um, the vision of my head in chapter two, it wasn't Daniel's vision. It was Nebuchadnezzar's vision. Daniel didn't even see the vision. He saw the interpretation of the vision given to him by God. And here it's his vision of his head. And I came near to the, to one of those who stood by and I asked him the truth of all this. So he, I, that's a small H in your Bible there. The, so he, I kind of wrote a capital H here. I don't know if I defamed my Bible or not, but um, this is a vision of God, and I think he's talking to God here. I think it should be a capital H. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. So again, God this time is interpreting the dream, not Daniel, as in chapter 2. And he says, Those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth. Now, again, in verse 17, that, that which arise, the language there, the word is shall arise. So that's yet future. And, and the interpretation is these are four kings. Now, I want you to understand something, too. The word kings and kingdoms um, is interchangeable in, in the language. It, it can be interpreted either way. It can be translated either way, kings or kingdoms. And sometimes it's kings, sometimes it's kingdoms. But, but the which, the kings, who uses a king, James? I need to read that in the King James. Anybody? What does it say in the King James? 17, four kings shall arise. So the King James adds the shall arise. My newer version takes it out. But again, shall arise to me speaks of yet future. And Nebuchadnezzar, again, had been dead for 23 years. Some of the things would have been future um, in the, the statue of, of Nebuchadnezzar. The legs and the feet were yet future. But this is all for future we already know from verse 7 that all four are going to be contemporary. And then he says, um, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So that's all the description we're going to get for the first three. And then Daniel says, But I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast. He really wants to focus in on the fourth one. 
which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. And the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching and the same horn was was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Now, um, the Antichrist will make war against the saints and, and prevail. We have a little bit of a problem here because we have to understand a couple things. Um, this is 100% talking about the Antichrist. But Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Okay? So here we have Satan prevailing. Or we have Satan through the Antichrist prevailing. But the other thing we understand is that the church is raptured before the Antichrist is ever revealed. So we as a church will never know who the Antichrist is. You know, it might be fun to try to guess and pick people that we think would fit the role. We're going to be wrong anyways because Satan himself is going to enter that person. And so the candidate that we think it has to be and have all these skills, when Satan enters them, he could add all that stuff anyways. But it's fun. It's always been fun to do it. And for whatever reason, every American, you know what's so funny? Every American president has always, somebody will say, Reagan was it, it was Obama, it was Clinton, it was Trump, it was the Antichrist. I haven't heard one person say that Biden is the Antichrist. They're like, he's too, <laughs> he can't be. But, um, but every president, Hitler was the Antichrist. Um, on and on and on and on. And, and so it's, it's, again, it's, and sometimes it's interesting. It's fun. Like, who, who's it going to be? But the truth is, Thessalonians says that, that the, the, the son of perdition will not be revealed until after the church is removed. So the word saints here um, is tribulation saints. It could be the Jews. It could be those that are getting saved in the tribulation. Some of those, he will cut off their heads. He will prevail against those. They will become martyrs, the tribulation martyrs. But it's not talking about the church. The church is gone. Um, And then in verse 22 it says, Until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Uh, Revelation chapter, again, 20 the millennial reign, Satan is cast, the battle of Armageddon is over, and we go into the millennial reign of Christ. We rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. In verse 23, it says, Thus he said, the fourth beast, somebody, shall be. Again, we're talking about future. A fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are the ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom. So this kingdom is the revised Roman Empire, the ten toes. Um, you know, we've always looked for um, in biblical prophecy some kind of ten nation um, federation, conglomeration, whatever, union. So the European Union at one point when they started was a ten nation federation. And so it was always fascinating. We looked at the EU and then they went to 12 and then 14 and um, so again, you know, but, 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 but the term nations, maybe even biblically, they're not, they don't have to be where we're looking at like, you know, individual nations to make up this 10, they, they, the nations could be regions. It could be 
you know, it could be political connections. It doesn't necessarily have to be the clear-cut national lines that we draw on our maps to make these ten groups that are going to represent these ten horns. But regardless, there will be ten nations, um, ten groups that they're going to come out of. The Antichrist will rise out of that, that group of ten. The little horn comes up out of the ten, and he, and he, and he crushes how many? Three, leaving eight. The seven that are remaining in himself is eight. And so we have um, somewhere where the Antichrist will come out of that. The false prophet will follow him then. And another, the rest of 24, shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the first ones. And he shall subdue the three kings. Now we're talking about the Antichrist. The little one's going to rise up. He's going to pluck out these three of the ten horns or ten nations. And he shall speak pompous words, again, we have that repeated, against the Most High, and shall persecute the saints of the Most High. And he shall intend to change times and law, and the saints shall be given into his hand for a times, times and half a time. How long is that? Three and a half years, the Antichrist, after the abomination of desolation, which takes place at the three and a half year mark, he'll rule and reign in the last three and a half in his fierce wrath. Now, one of the things that when we're studying the Antichrist, and one of the things that he'll do is what it says here is that he will he intends to change the times and the law. So the Antichrist, I'm sure he's, um, you know, there, there's a, we tell time right now by the Gregorian, or we have a Gregorian calendar, and the, the clock that sets the time is the Greenwich um, median time, is where all time is set from. And I think it's in, is it in London, the Greenwich. But anyways, but in in Mecca, where where the Hajj happens in Saudi Arabia, they have a clock and it's 150 feet tall, and it's set to like it's 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 an Islamic time and it's like a half hour off. So everything's in hours, but they switch theirs to a half an hour, which will mean to change the times. But I think in this, there's there's a lot that that the Antichrist I think is involved in this. The way I see this, that he wants to change the times and the seasons is that for that time when he's ruling and reigning, he doesn't want people celebrating Christmas. He doesn't want them celebrating Easter. He's going to change what we know as our regular holidays and times and seasons. They may go by different names for the months and different ideas, but he's going to, of some degree, during that seven years that he reigns, he's going to intend to change the times and the law. And so even the law that you know we abide by or that we have, when it's the rule of the Antichrist, He's going to have his own law. And these people say, oh, Sharia law. That's what it is. And that's why Sharia law is, you know, and that's one of the things the Taliban is threatening to do right now in Afghanistan is, is institute Sharia law um, immediately in, in the capital and all over Afghanistan and under their rule. But um, whether it's Sharia law or, again, it's his own hybrid of, of what he comes up with, he's going to change the laws of the lands. He's going to change the times, the seasons, the holiday calendars that we all abide by now will all be changed by the Antichrist. And then he says in verse 26, But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the king's kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High, the kingdom and everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Um, what should we do with these things? <laughs> do what Daniel did. And just keep them in our heart. Ponder them in our heart as we 
you know, as we process, as you process through times, you know, and again, I cannot encourage us enough that the, the Bible says this concerning end times, antichrist, ominous things, rapture. The Bible says, comfort one another with this. Comfort one another with these things. They're meant to be comforting. And if it doesn't comfort us, then there's something awry or strange, you know, because we shouldn't be afraid. None of those things should scare us. There is coming a day. The world is falling apart around us. All over the place, you know, with the coronavirus, with, with what's going on around the world. And, um, but none of those things should scare us because, because your husband your, is going to come for his bride and he's going to take care of you. And again, whenever you read about these ominous things in the Bible, it's always followed up with an encouragement from the Lord that it should bring comfort. We should be excited. We should be encouraged. You know, and the other thing I say, I say is that it should bring also an urgency in our hearts to share the gospel, an urgency in our hearts to, to share our faith and try to find a tactful and a loving way to tell people the truth and, and warn people of that Jesus is coming soon. The signs are all around us. The signs of the times are abundant. And, and it, nobody will be with excuse on Judgment Day. And when Jesus is able just to go back and lay out all the signs that he put in the way of, of, of his coming return. Amen? Let's stand together. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day, God. And Father, we pray, Lord, that, um, God, you just pour out your spirit upon this place. And Lord, we know that you're coming soon. Lord, this Antichrist who's going to rule and reign, who's going to change times and seasons and uh, have his own religion that people are going to follow, this Antichrist who one day will go into the rebuilt Jewish temple and demand that he be worshipped as God. And for those that refuse to take his mark, he'll cut their heads off. Lord, none of those things should scare us, Lord. The mark of the beast and all of these things, the one world religion, one world government, one world economy, the new world order. Jesus, you, you've promised us that you will keep us from the hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole world. That we've not been appointed to wrath. And that you've not given us a spirit of fear, but that of love and of power and of a sound mind. And so, Jesus, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, help us to be on mission in our hearts and our lives. God, help us understand that we don't live for this world. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. This world is a tent. And Jesus, help us to have the desire to take as many people with us um, on our way to heaven and to just have a, a real um, uh, call of God's spirit, a, a gift of God's spirit to be able to witness, to be able to share. And God, that you would just, again, fill us with your Holy Spirit and make us the, your witnesses and give us opportunities to share our faith in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good night.